Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, We are so excited to be able to open up the scriptures this morning, and I just want to invite you, if you don't have a Bible here, um, we have Bibles for you in the back. If you're joining us online, grab a copy of God's Word, either in print or online. We'd love to have you be a part of our our Bible study. We have two passages we're going to look at this morning, and the first passage is going to be in the very beginning of the Bible. So before you turn to Revelation 22, as we finish out our study in Daniel and Revelation from this last year, I want you to inter, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter two. All right. So if you're new to the Bible, this is at the very, very beginning of the book. We're going to look at a couple of things. And as you're turning there, my name is Jeremy. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and being the lead teaching pastor and so grateful um, for each one of you as you've gathered and trusting, as Matt said, trusting that God speaks to you this morning. We want to open up God's word because God's word is God's message. It's his, it's his voice. It's, it's truth that he has given to us. But we also trust that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you in what is right, what is true, and what is good as we yield our lives to him. So even as we begin to prepare to open up God's word, would you pray with me as we begin? Father, thank you that we can sing songs of hope that look forward to a time in which we will be with you forever. God, it's my prayer that everyone within the sound of my voice this morning would know that they can have a a secure eternity with you. Thank you, God, for the grace that you have offered to us through your son, Jesus. And as we open up your word to us, Lord, remind us of your love, remind us of your care, remind us of your mercy, remind us of your judgment towards sin. God, remind us and teach us what it means to walk as disciples after you. We don't want to be people who are filled with head knowledge this morning. God, we want to be people whose hearts are transformed by the ever-living God. Thank you, God, that we can come into your presence. In fact, you are here right now. We worship you, Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The father's son, that is Jesus. Um, Sorry. Genesis chapter two. If you would look at this with me. Um, What I want to do is we begin to finalize our study on Revelation um, is I want to look at the beginning because the beginning helps inform what we're going to read in Revelation 22 in just a minute. Uh, as we started studying last week, Revelation 21, 22 introduces us to the eternal state, a new heavens and a new earth. We're reintroduced to a new city. We're introduced to a new garden. What we're going to find out here in Genesis chapter two is what is God's purpose for humanity? Many of us today wander around and struggle around trying to find, God, what's my purpose? And Genesis is so instructive for us in what is our purpose about the big picture of why we exist, why God created us. Why did he do that? And I want to invite you to look with me just at a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Read this with me, please. You can remain seated for right now. It says, Then Yahweh God took the man and he set him in the Garden of Eden to, go, to cultivate and keep it. To cultivate and to keep it. I was getting ready for our Bible study during the second hour last week and I was studying the beginning chapters of Genesis. And this struck my eye because it tells us in part why God created you and I. It says he took the man and he placed him or he set him. And as I was doing some study on this word, this idea of the word to to place someone has the idea of to set him at rest. So he's setting man at rest in a garden. That's different than if you just read the word place or, you know, I put you here. He set him at rest. From the very beginning, God intended for us to rest in him. You know that. From the very beginning, God intended for his creatures, 
the humanity made in his image, bearing his likeness to be people on earth who, who walk in, in steward and care for all these things. He made them to be at rest. Now, rest is not the cessation of work, but it is the cessation of striving. It's the cessation of trying to make a name for yourself. It's the cessation of all the things in which we in our own flesh or we in our own um, willpower try to achieve. He places them with with rest in the garden. I love the way the Moody Bible commentary puts it. They, they, they make this point, and there's a whole lot of Hebrew stuff behind this, and if you want to dive into that more deeply, I encourage you to go check out the Moody Bible commentary. If you don't have one, get one, or come see me in my office. I'd be happy to, to, to share it with you for a brief moment, because I use it all the time. But the Moody Bible commentary makes this point that, that he causes them to rest. He sets them at rest, and he, they say this rest is a promise of both physical rest and cessation of warfare, but ultimately to the all-encompassing rest of faith that is the spiritual rest or salvation that comes by accepting by faith what God has provided. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he provided and he gave them everything they needed. Everything. Most importantly, he gave them himself because we see in the garden unhindered fellowship with God himself. And only after sin is there this break where he says, I need to send you out because your sin has caused this chasm between you and I. From the beginning, he wanted them to learn to rest in his care. But that's not it. So he places, that's not all it. He places them or he sets them at rest within the Garden of Eden. And by doing so, he places them in a state of being in which they were originally intended to walk in. This idea of being in full relationship with God and then he gives them additional um, commands about purpose here. The way my text here says, it says to cultivate or to keep it, or cultivate and keep it. Your translation might say to work it or to watch over it. Um, <clears throat> behind the Hebrew here, what's in view are two words. Here are the two words in Hebrew. The first is the word avad. Can you say avad? Avad. Avad is a Hebrew word that means to worship, it means to work, and it means to serve. All right? That's the first word there, to, to work it or to cultivate it. It's the word avad. The word to watch over is the word shamar. Can you say shamar? Shamar is a word that means um, to keep. It also means to obey. So here's the picture. He sets man and woman. This is right before Eve is created, but it is in um, consistently. This is her command as well after she is made by God. He sets them at rest, at peace with him, in relationship with him, to worship, to serve, and to keep or to obey. Now, this idea of obey is sometimes a hard one for us to stomach because we go to our kids sometimes, maybe you don't do this, maybe I just do this, say, no, you need to obey right now. And it becomes a negative thing. In the context of this command of obey is the attitude of love. Jesus says of his disciples, he says, if you love me, you obey my teaching." We, we don't obey God in order to be um, made more holy. We don't obey God to be more loved. We don't obey God because we want to get something. We obey God first and foremost because he has demonstrated his love for us. And if you're in a relationship with someone that's deep, you go, I would never want to hurt you. I would never want to dishonor you. I would never want to speak ill of you. From the beginning, man's purpose was to be set at rest in the garden in order to cultivate, in order to worship, in order to serve, and in order to keep and to obey. With that as a context, I want to invite you to go to Revelation 22. In Revelation 21 and 22, we are introduced to a city. We're also introduced into what things will be like after all sin is done away with. Uh, we read last week, grief, crying, and pain will exist no more because the former things have passed away. Jesus said, I am making all things new. Write these words for they are faithful and true. It is done. That's Revelation 21. That's part of it. 
We come into Revelation 22 and we're given a couple verses that still talk about what this new heaven and new earth is going to look like. And then this morning we're going to look at four basic um, ideas that are found in the remaining verses of Revelation. If you were to write a book, I don't know how many of you like to read the ending of a book before you start reading the book to find out whether or not it's worth your time. I personally don't do that. I usually get into a book and go, ooh, this is really good or this is really not worth my time and I don't even care what the ending says. But some of us here perhaps like to read the end of the book. If you were to jump to the end of the book and read the beginning of the book, you would find both things begin in a, in, in a state in which God places his people at rest. In, in a state in which they are dependent upon him for any, everything. And, and a state in which there is no more grief, crying, pain, sorrow, sad, sickness, sadness, death. All these things have passed away. We come to the end of the book of Revelation. And now I will invite you, if you're able to, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Revelation 22, probably the last page or two pages of your Bible, says this. Then he showed me a river. And the water of life, bright as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his slaves will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no longer any night. And they will ha not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. They will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his slaves the things which must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of, these, of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who was hearing and seeing these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the one who does unrighteousness still do unrighteousness, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still do righteousness, and the one who is holy keep, still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus says, and my reward is with me to render every man according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the authority to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come and let the one who hears say, Come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires or who wishes receive the water of life without cost. I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He who bears witness to these things says, yes, or surely I am coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, these are the words that you have given to us as we study them, as we seek to understand them, as we seek to close out this section of our study, as we get ready to go into to other things in the coming weeks and months. We pray that your spirit would lead and guide us into all truth as your word has promised. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to set upon the things you want us to know so that we may walk 
that we might walk more closely with you in this world. And we might walk in the calling that you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Congratulations if you've been with us for the last months. Um, you have now read through the entire book of Revelation with us. Um, one of the blessings given at the beginning of this book is blessed are those who read this prophecy, right? Who, who hear the actual words of God. Um, so we're going to study, and I hope you saw as we read from Revelation 22, that as we're introduced to a garden in Genesis chapter 2, we've got trees and we've got garden-like elements in this new heavens, in this new earth. I don't know all of what it's going to look like, but it's going to be glorious. Um, to be in a world where there is no more sin, to be in a world where there is no more curse, when you come and you experience the hard things of this life, and most of you know what I'm talking about, the hardness of sickness and sadness and death, the, the, the hardness of pain and toil and suffering. We see that in our lives. We see that in the lives of people whom we love. We see that in the lives of people around us searching for meaning, searching for purpose. And there's only one place they can come to to find that need, that spiritual, that deep longing met. And that is Jesus himself. As we look at these closing verses, I, I want to notice a couple things or pull out a couple things with you um, of the text here. In verse 1 of chapter 22, um, this life in the new heavens and new earth is about serving and reigning with God. And we find in verse 1 that there is a, a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So, so there's water into the ancient ear. Water is a big deal. In fact, if you didn't have a faucet that you could just turn on super easily in your house, or you couldn't go out to the, um, the, the nifty little water dispenser thing out here, the, the water fountain, that now you can stick your cup under and it just comes out, right? Um, th this is new, relatively new for, for all of us. Back in the time you had a well or you had a stream, you had to know, can I drink this water? Am I going to get sick from this water? Uh, you might have a cistern that might have water in here. For, for the, for the uh, person who is wandering in a desert or the person who's living in a fairly dry area, water is life. And what we see at the beginning of this chapter 22 is that there's a river of water of life, but it's not just like, like any old river. It's bright like crystal. It shimmers. Um, it shimmers and it shines, but it comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Right? Its source is God himself. The, the water that is offered, the water that is promised, the water that never, that never, um, never ceases to quench someone's thirst, like, like it always satisfies, it comes from God himself. And in the middle of the street, verse 2 says that there's this river, but, but there's a tree of life that has 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. My grandpa would have loved this because my grandpa loved fruit. He loved a good pear or a good plum or a good apple or a good orange. Um, he, he loved fruit. Um, and I can just imagine we're all gathered around. We're, we're eating fruit. I don't know what kind of fruit this is. I, I don't know where the literal and the symbolic kind of, kind of meet here. I think it's literal fruit. We find fruit in the first garden. We find fruit in the second garden. It's nourishing and it's sustaining us. It's interesting. In the first garden, God actually has to separate Adam and Eve from the fruit of the tree of life. Because he says in Genesis 3, I think it is, um, I, I have to remove you because otherwise you'll continue to eat of this fruit and you'll live forever. So there's a separation that goes on here. Here we're reunited with some incredible kind of fruit that has 12 different kinds of fruit that yields fruit every month that satisfies. Um, it's interesting here too. It says that the leaves on the fruit were for the healing of the nations. Uh, th this one was something that I, we just thought about for a little bit this week. Pastor Tom and I were talking about it. Like, what does that mean? The word here, healing, comes from the word therapion, which is the word from which we get therapy. So it could be referencing that, that there's an increasing amount of, of therapy or therapeutic that comes from this leaf for the nations. It, it may refer to what Brian read earlier, where it talks about of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's this gradual and greater and greater and greater increase of God's glory 
glory and God's goodness and God's kingship and God's, God's mercy and healing. I'm not really quite sure. It's kind of an interesting phrase, but, but we get this picture there of, of its, its um, health giving to the nations. Verse three introduces us to this idea that there is no longer any curse. There's no longer any curse. The king who rightfully sits on the throne and the lamb, they're where they are right now. At least for the believer. For the believer, God is the king of our life. Here in the eternal state, God will forever be king of our life and of the world. He, he will come down and he will rule and reign in righteousness and peace and joy. And there will be no more curse. And it says here that his slaves will serve him. Now the word slaves here, your translation might say servants. Um, it, it's an interesting word. It, it's a word that means um, to give. Let me, let me read it here so I, so I get it right. It's the word syndulos, which means to, to give total obedience to one's master. It, it, the, the idea behind slave or servant is not necessarily what we think about in our history as, as, a, as a United States nation. It, it's one to whom... All your attention, all your focus, all your energy is focused on, Lord, what next? Lord, what can I do? How, how can I walk with you today? Total obedience, total submission to the work and the will of the master. This is the idea behind um, a slave of God. And they serve him. They serve him. But they don't serve him from a distance. Verse four tells us that they see his face and his name is on their forehead. When, when it talks about seeing face to face, that's the idea of intimacy. Last week, the, the text said several times in Revelation 21 that his dwelling is with you, that his dwelling is with you, that his dwelling is with you. He'll be your God, you'll be his people. His face is before us. Now we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Then we will see face to face. And I don't know fully what that will actually look like or what that will entail. But we will understand a greater measure of the glory of God. And we will walk with him. We will be face to face and his name will be on our foreheads. And if you just think back to who this passage originally is being written to. It's being written to people who are pressured. Do we worship the beast or do we worship God? Do we worship the culture and the emperor and the king of this world? Or do we worship the one who made us, created us and sustains us? It says of the last days that we've studied already that at some point in time, there's going to be a mark of the beast that is put on the heads of people who do not trust in Jesus as their savior. And on the contrary, there's going to be a mark of God given to believers. This mark is on their foreheads. Um, this mark is on the foreheads of the people in this eternal state because they are his. They are his. There will no longer be any night, verse 5 says. There's no longer need of lamp of light or the light of the sun, which doesn't mean the sun isn't there. It's just that the glory of God illumines everything. The glory of God is so bright and so clear but notice the other bit about the slaves of God. It says, and they will reign forever and ever. When we think of slaves or we think of servanthood, we often think of, of something that is lower or that is lesser. And in one sense, that's true because we owe our allegiance to a king who is above all. But look at what God does. He says, you're going to reign with me. So while we, while we are, while we're a part of his kingdom and we're, 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 subjects within his kingdom, you could say, in the positive sense of that word, we also reign with him. In, in the ancient period, if you had a master who was really high up and you were his servant, you were his slave, you had a certain degree of standing because if someone messed with you and you were the king's servant, you got in the way of the king's business. You, you, you had a relationship many times that could be very prized within the society. We come to the end of verse five and we're introduced to verse six here. And one of the things we see in this, um, in this verse is that God's word will come to pass. He says again, and we've, we've looked at this before. Uh, these words are faithful and true, faithful and true. Um, for the ancient person, you could imagine saying, God, when are you going to do this? God, how can I know that I can trust you? And God reminds his people through this word, these words will come to pass. That's confidence. 
That's a confident expectation that what we look forward to will occur. That's a different kind of way of living. Um, earlier this week, I, I got to spend, Pastor Tom and I got to spend a little bit of time chatting with um, Terry Rasher, our, our, our missionary. And one of the things that she said as her husband, Keith, was getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. Um, one of the things she said, she says, she first started saying, I, you know, God has been so good. And then she, tra- then she changed her statement. She said, God is so good. Do you get the difference? One looks backward. The other one looks with faith and confidence and hope in the present. This is the idea. These words are faithful and true. We can bank on it today. And this is hope. This is hope for the original hearers who were broken down by the culture around them. They they were struggling through what it meant to have faith and encouragement during a very dark time in the world in the early 90s of the first century. And John writes, on behalf of the Lord, these words are faithful and true. And then we're introduced in verse seven to this phrase that says, and behold, I am coming quickly. Now, if you remember back uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, this phrase kind of rung over and over and over again. I'm coming quickly. One of the things that God reminds um, people in Revelation chapter one is, I am going to be coming soon. We have to be a people. God desires us to be a people who live in light of his soon return. Another word you could use for this is his imminent return. When, when we studied this word soon, way back when, when we started this whole study, um, I told you that this word soon refers to a relatively brief time subsequent to another point in time. So you could translate it soon or in a short time. And the idea is this, I shared with you, is that when, when we expect something to happen with great imminence, it changes how we live. Like if we have our family coming and we know that they're coming, we're just not exactly sure what hour they're coming. We don't know exactly, you know, is it going to be five hours from now or six hours from now or seven hours from now? The thing that happens in our house is we start cleaning, we start organizing, we start making sure we have meals, we start making sure that the the, the sheets are changed. There's a greater sense of urgency that kicks in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You have someone come over, you're like, take care of that, take care of that. It's going to be okay. And the truth is, is they'd love us even if we still had papers on the counter, right? It's not a big deal. But there's a greater sense of imminence or, or a greater sense of urgency that comes from the imminent arrival of someone whom we love. That's the idea here. We are to be a people who say, God, we don't know whether you're going to come back for your church today or whether it's going to be tomorrow or whether it's going to be some other time. But we want to live in light that you are coming soon. And that changes how we live. That awareness springs to mind, oh, if God is coming soon, do I, do, do I really want to experience the effects of selfish choices and trying to meet my own needs apart from Christ? Do, do, do I really want to um, love what is ungodly? Or do I want to have a heart and a mind that is prepared by God to meet him now? I don't know when the Lord will return. You know, the, the scripture says we do not know the day or the hour. So we just don't jump into that. But it does say he is coming soon. And we are to live in light of a soon return. After he says this, John, the one who's hearing and seeing these things, Notice with me in verse eight, and he says, when I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. And the angel says, stop it. He says, no, don't do that. Why? Because even the angel recognizes who the Lord is. He says, I'm a fellow slave with you. My obedience is to the master. I'm I'm a fellow slave and your brothers, the prophets, we are all fellow slaves of God, servants of God. And with those who keep the words of this book. And what does he do? He says, there's one place where you are to direct your worship. And that is to the Lord. That's to the Lord. Every bit of our sense of imminent expectation that God could return for his bride at any moment. Is an opportunity to say, God, here we are to worship. 
Here we are to bow down. Here we are to say that you are our God. And Lord, would you do in and through us what you long to do here on this earth? This is a picture in these first initial verses of Revelation 22. Um, as we look at this last section, I broke it up into four different statements to, to help kind of um, encapsulate many of the themes that, that this book has in it, but also closes with. And so as, as we look at these remaining verses, the first one I want to share with you is this. It's the behold, I'm, I'm coming soon. Um, Jesus wants these believers to know this truth. He wants them to have this, um, this great expectation of his soon arrival. He wants them to know the things that are coming, which is why he's un unveiled the prophecy of Revelation, so that we can have a degree of knowledge about what is to come. But he wants us to be reminded that this next season in, in Revelation, the, the coming of Christ for his church is near. It, it, it is near. The second thing that he wants us to know is found in verses 10 and 11 and verses 18 and 20. And it's this idea where he says in verse 10, he says, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this book. For again, the time is near or it's at hand or it's imminent. Um, he wants us to, this is the way I phrased it in my notes. He wants us to be people who share the message, but don't add to it. He wants us to share the message, but don't add to it. Verse 10, don't seal up the prophecy. In other words, it must be shared. When we studied Daniel, there were some things that God revealed to Daniel that Daniel basically had to keep for himself for that time until it was intended to be revealed. All the things which we have read, and we've been through a lot, right? We started off with, with um, John talking to the church in Revelation 1, 2, and 3 and giving them some words for how they are to live in the midst of the culture in which they lived. We come to verse or chapter 4, and we learned about what it means to worship God. John has this amazing heaven experience that prepares him for all the hard things that he's going to have to hear and write and communicate to the people of God. Because beginning in verse six, we're introduced to seal judgments, we're introduced to trumpet judgments then, and we're introduced to bold judgments, which is the outpouring of the wrath of God, which is really hard to read and really hard to study, but it gives this picture of God will set things right. The judge of the world will come and do what is right. He will come and he will bring judgment for sin. This is the message that God wants to have shared though, because it's not just a message that God will bring things and make things right, which, which is actually an amazing thing when we look at all the horrors in our world. God will actually set the right, or will set the wrong and he will make it right. But not only that, he has this offer of hope and this offer of grace and this offer of mercy through his son, Jesus. And he wants his people to share the message, but not add to it. So he says, don't seal up the prophecy. It's to be shared. God desires the message of Jesus to be spoken of constantly, constantly, because it's only in him that people can have salvation for eternal life. And it's only through him that they can experience life in the present. But as we have this kind of, Caution here, don't seal up the words of the prophecy. Verse 11 tells us, let the one who does unrighteousness still do unrighteousness. The one who is filthy still be filthy. In other words, while we have a command as the people of God to share the message of hope through Jesus Christ alone to our world, we don't have a responsibility of changing people's hearts. God has given, God has given people the ability to say, I receive that, that message of grace. He's also given them the ability to say, I reject that message. He's given them that, 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 that choice. He's given them that opportunity. Verse 11 recognizes that people's response to the message is not up to us. In fact, there will be people who believe the message and there will be people who do not believe. But regardless of whether they believe or not, the most important thing is that we have one message to share. You can have life in Jesus today. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve for it. In fact, you can't. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. The only way you can be made right with God is to come to the God who came down to earth for you and gave his son, his one and only son, whom he loved, 
And through his death and his resurrection, his blood, his blood shed for you, his blood shed for me, can cover your sin. And not just cover, but cleanse once and for all. That is the good news of Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. Because as God gives you, as God gives his life to redeem you, God gives us the life of Christ to live through you and I today. It's not just a promise of now you're saved and now you're in heaven. It's a promise of now you're saved eternally through the death and resurrection of Jesus and your faith in him alone. But now God comes to take up residence inside of you. And now God wants to live his life through you for his glory, for his power. Because the same way you come into the kingdom, God's grace is going to be the same way that you walk as his child. His grace. Not earned, not merited, not achieved, just received. This is the message of the gospel. There will be people who believe. There will be people who don't. The point is this. We don't need another message than the message of Jesus. No other message brings life. It's the only one that does. So his words are, share it. But don't add to it. In fact, he gives the caution in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, if you add to it, God will add to the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, verse 19 says, uh, of this prophecy. And he's talking specifically about the, the prophecy here within Revelation. It says, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city that are written in this book. It's a... It's a it's a weighty thing being a teacher of the scripture. In fact, James in his letter in the New Testament says, not many of you should desire to be teachers, brothers, because those who teach are under greater, um, what's the word? You're under greater scrutiny. You're under greater judgment because the message that we share has to remain and ring true with this, not with what we feel. Not with what we wish to be true, but what God's word actually says. It's my hope in my prayers. We've been engaging in this lengthy study and challenging study um, to not make up things in scripture, but to remind you that the first and foremost gift that we have besides Jesus is God has given us his word and his spirit to lead and guide us into truth. And we want to represent that as best and as accurately as we can. But we always go back to the word of God because it is authoritative for our life. In fact, I love the picture that is given in the book of Acts when Paul goes and he shares the message of Jesus the Messiah with some Bereans. What did they do? They, they hear this message that, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And it says they go back to search the scriptures diligently to find out whether or not what that he was saying was actually true. That should be the practice for every person. That you open this book and you say, all right, Lord, would you teach me? God, would you lead me by your spirit so I know what is in here? So that I don't just know it cognitively, but I know how to apply it. And I know how to apply it correctly. Right? So there's this idea here. Preach the message. Share the message. But don't add to it. So God's coming quickly. Share the message. Don't add to it. The third thing I want to note from these last remaining verses is that blessing results from trusting Christ and coming to Christ. Period. <laughs> Period. Um, there's actually seven blessings in the revelation of John. Um, really quickly, if you want to look at them, I'll, I'll give them to you really quick quickly here. The first blessing is in chapter one, verse three, and it talks about blessed are those who read aloud the prophecy and they keep it. So, so they, they, they read this book of revelation. There's a blessing that comes with that, but not just to read it, to, to, to hear what it says and to follow with, with spirit empowered obedience. The second blessing is found in chapter 14, verse 13. And, and the blessing here is that those who die in the Lord will have rest from their labors. We don't always look at death as a blessing, but here he's saying to die in the Lord, there's a blessing attached to this. And here we're, there's this wrestle because from the earthly side, we see people whom we love and we go, oh, my heart aches because that person is not here. But there's a blessing that they're experiencing in the presence of the Lord 
that I can't begin to fathom on this side of the curtain. The third blessing is in chapter 16, verse 15, where it says, blessed are those who remain alert and watchful and clothed. In other words, they're alert, they're watchful, and they're ready to follow God's word and God's will, whatever it may be. They're about the service of God. That's in Revelation 16, 15. The fourth blessing comes in chapter 19, verse 9. And it's blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And there's only one way you're invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb that you can experience that, and that's through Jesus himself. It's his garments, his, his righteousness that becomes yours, that gains any of us admission into that feast. I love a good feast. I love a good meal. I, I, as you can probably tell. Uh, I love a good meal. I love good food because it just celebrates. It's a great time to gather around a table and to celebrate oftentimes with family. One of my favorite things about um, going to visit family over the holidays is to sit down and have a meal together. Because it's one of the few places, even with the chaos of young kids running around, it's one of the few places where we're all face to face. And we're gathered around for a common purpose. And we're gathered around to, to, to relate to one another. Um, there's this blessing that is attached to being a part of this marriage feast of the Lamb. The fifth blessing is in chapter 20, verse 6. And it's blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. So this blessing is for those who reign with Christ in the millennium. And the blessing is kind of, it's interesting because they receive this blessing because they have not taken upon themselves the mark of the beast. They, they haven't considered giving their life for the purposes of the world, the, the, the purposes of the earth, the purposes to serve themselves as being the chief thing. Rather, their life was all about, God, how do I worship and serve you in this time and in this moment? And oh, by the way, there's people in difficult times like in the tribulation who lose their life for the sake of the gospel. And there's a blessing that comes with then being with the Lord and experiencing a life that has been given to God and a life that did not accept the mark of the beast on their lives. The sixth blessing is in 22 verse 7. And it's again, blessed are those who keep the words of this prophecy. And by keeping these words, what they're doing is they're rejecting all of the false prophecy that is around them. They're saying, God, this is your word. I'm not going to accept this. And God, I, I'm not going to accept this. And I'm not going to accept this because that's not your word. They, 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 they hear and they respond to the actual words of God in their life. They reject the false teaching of the world around them, which creeps in ever so subtly. They keep the words of the prophecy. Finally, the last blessing is in, is in verse 14 of chapter 22, where there's a blessing. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have authority to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. To have their robes washed uh, is, is to have them cleansed by the blood of the lamb. To have their robes washed means that sin's contamination is no more because it has been cleansed. That Christ's blood has been applied to their unrighteousness. And the only thing that gives them the right to the entry of the tree of life into the city is God's sacrifice for them and their reception of that. There's blessing that comes with that. Blessing has this idea of, of joy or of... Um, of merriment. It, it, it's kind of a weird thing because when we look at bl being blessed in our world, many times we look at blessing as being something material. Many times in the scripture, blessing is not material. In fact, most of the time it's not material. God, God may use things in order to bring blessing to your life, but first and foremost, he has given you an eye himself. All blessings, you know, we sometimes sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings are a gift of God saying, oh, do you know how much I love you? Anytime we experience an earthly blessing, and those do exist. Anytime we experience that, that is an opportunity for us to go, God, you are so good. And as we read, we read those seven blessings, some of those blessings are really hard because some of those blessings involve losing one's life for the sake of the king. But there's blessing. There's blessing because our hope is not found in what 
things go on on this earth, our hope is always and forever in a king who reigns forever. And a king who has stepped down from his throne because he has taken up residence in and among his people. Blessing results from being with Christ, period. The distinction of all these blessings is that whether in life or in death, Christ is what matters most. He is the blessing. He is the one who brings life from the dead. He is the one who gives life eternally in life here and now. So in our closing things, we talked about Christ's return is imminent. We talked about um, the second thing. We talked about um, share the message, but don't add to it that blessing comes from God himself. The last thing I want to note from these closing verses of scripture is this. You and I have an invitation. And it's this. Don't miss it. Come. Come. Notice he doesn't say go. (laughs) He doesn't say go get this or go achieve that. He says come. This is the amazing invitation of God throughout scripture. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, we're saying this morning, come. If you're weary, come. If you're broken, come. If you're prideful, come. If you think you have everything together, oh, you better come. (laughs) Come where? Come to Jesus. Here's how he says it. Don't miss it here. He says, I'm coming quickly. It says in verse 17, the spirit and the bride. In other words, the people of God here have this message. We're to be saying, come to people who are far from God. He says, spirit and bride say, come, let the one who hears, the one who listens, the one who understands, come. The one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes or the one who desires receive the water of life without cost. You and I have an invitation. Come. We can choose to try to pursue all the things of this world. We can choose to try to have our needs met through a whole bunch of different ways. Or we can come to him who is everything we need. In John chapter 8, God willing, we'll look at this later this year. Um, In John chapter 8, Jesus comes up on the last and greatest day of the feast. And it's actually, it's one of the driest times of the year as well. And there's this water ceremony that's going on. And Jesus speaks to the crowd in this feast of Sukkot. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, and they're thirsty. If anyone is thirsty, he says, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I'm thirsty right now. I could go for some water right now. But that will only quench my thirst for a moment. There is one who will quench and completely satisfy your thirst for life. And his name is Jesus. There's no other way to God except through him. There's no other way to the Father. And his invitation to you is not go achieve, it is to come and to receive his life. Because the same way that you and I come into the kingdom by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me, is the same way, Christian, that we walk, we come to him. So my message is twofold. The first is this, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, Jesus' invitation to you and our invitation to you as the bride of Christ is to come to Jesus because nothing else is going to work. Nothing. Just, just take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. It's a much better word to take. If you're not a follower of Jesus, come to him. If you want to have that conversation, I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, Maybe you're pursuing things that you think are going to bring you life and bring you joy and bring you happiness and bring you peace. If those things are not Jesus himself, you'll keep pursuing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Respond to Jesus' invitation to you. Come walk in the glory that he has given you in his son. That's your gift. It's a, he's already given it to you. 
but come to him. Come to him today. Leave behind all the cares and the worries of this world. Leave them at his feet. Trust him because he, he is all we need. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for not coming to you more quickly. Lord, there are some here today, some within the hearing of my voice, who've put off, who've put off what they're going to do about you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them with great power, that they would see their need for a savior, and that they would come to you, because it's only in you that they can find forgiveness and healing for their sin. It's only in you that they can find freedom from their shame and their guilt. It's only in you, God, that they can find life, and not just life in a small bit, but life to the full. I pray for them, God, reveal yourself to them. And God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to those of us who are your followers today. Many of us, God, we have sought, after we've come to you for salvation, we've sought to go out and try and make ourselves right before you or try to, try to, try to do all manner of things to say, God, look at how good we are. <laughs> God, maybe we've turned to, to areas of sin in our life and those sins have a stranglehold on us. Thank you, God, that we can come back to you. Thank you that we can come back to the one who has given his life for us, the one who actually has given his life to live in and through us. And God, as we come back to you, we come back to one who is gentle and meek and humble in heart. One who promises, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, where we find rest for our souls. God, even as we look at these remaining, these, these closing words of scripture, and we think about the words that came before in Genesis chapter two, we come to you for rest today. Come to you for peace. Come to you for life. Thank you for the promise that when we come, oh, you pour out with great, great measure beyond what we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. We bless you, Lord God. And now as we turn our hearts to worship, to song, focus our hearts and minds again, God, on you, the one who is over all. We bless you. In the name of Jesus, everyone says, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.